Hello. Can you believe Living Room Therapy is on episode 4 already? I sure can't. Unfortunately, I still don't have an invite, but I'm not going to let that get me down. Do you know I've taken up whittling? I made a pretty fine-looking wizard the other day if I do say... I'm getting the cutoff sign. Sorry about that. Go ahead in. I'll see you on the way out. Well, well all right. Here we are. This is great. This is so great. Well, Reed, you know Manny... Better than Paul and I. Would you like to introduce him to us? Sure. I will introduce Manny to the, the part of the world that hasn't met him yet. Uh, here's Manny. Uh, so I guess we can be frank about how we met, right? Yeah. We, we're doing therapeutic work together. I'm, I'm counseling you and have been for over a year. I couldn't say how long. Uh, do you have any sense on how long it's been? I would say somewhere a little over a year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so issues that have come up have been grief and loss, ADHD, procrastination. Uh, All the issues you have, Reed. <laughs> you know, it, he's he's like my little twin brother. <laughs> and if we hadn't met um, therapeutically, I would have, you know, loved to have been your friend if we'd met at a gym, which... What are the odds of me being in a gym? Uh, or we had met at a maybe at a salon talking philosophy, or uh, yeah, in a meetup group talking about uh, intermittent fasting. We have a lot in common. You and I clicked better than anyone else I'd worked with, so I decided I'd stick with you and actually give it a try. For this uh, finally, yeah. Well, fit is super important, and. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of affinity and, uh, you know, childhood trauma, that uh, that's right up my alley. Well, before we get into the interview or the conversation or whatever we want to call this, uh, I have to tell you that uh, Jacqueline and Paul, we got a ton of mail complaining about my disparaging New Jersey. What? <laughs> wow. I said we, I said on our trip, uh, to Paul's home, we needed to get our picture taken. Uh, we have a picture exists, existing now of us in front of a Joshua tree, which is, uh, you know, spiritual and, and meaningful. But it would be just as spiritual and meaningful to have our pictures taken in front of some corpses out in the uh, Meadowlands. And, oh God, people did not like to hear the truth about New Jersey. So I just want to apologize and promise to uh, keep it, doing keep it. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. That's right. Are you going to defend your uh, comrades, Paul? That's what I was wondering. I don't have to. You'll sleep with the fishes. <laughs> oh, boy. It sounded like in the previous podcast, he was reaffirming your beliefs about New Jersey. <laughs> That's true. You know, he's he is not afraid of, of the truth about others. Yeah. <laughs> Too funny. Uh, well, all right. What's where's a good place to start, Jacqueline? Jacqueline's a therapist. Paul is is trained to be a therapist, but couldn't afford the pay cut. <laughs> so, Jacqueline, what do you got for us? Well, 
So, intermittent fasting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm intermittent fast daily, yeah. Reed has inspired me. Well, it took a while for me to get inspired because I got pregnant, and so I can't intermittent fast uh, during that. But now um, that she's nine months, I feel better about um, trying it. And I've just been doing it for the last two, three weeks. And I feel so much better. My moods improve. I just feel hopeful again, like physical uh, and nutrition wise. My parents are also doing it. They've been like more kind of, I don't know, each of them have tried different weight loss programs or um, they've just tried different things. My dad's lost like 24 pounds and my stepmom has lost, I think, 18 pounds. And they were just talking about it last night. And my dad, he's eh, kind of more serious, doesn't talk about his feelings. I guess he was just almost giddy last night talking about how much this is. He just loves it. He just loves it. And he he feels like it's um, it just works. He's not. You know, he still can drink his alcohol in the evening. He can still do all the things that he wants to do. So, I, and then also learning about just what's going on in our body. I, I like that. I don't know. You could probably speak to that, Manny, more than I can. Yeah, I know a lot of what you're trying to do is to activate a state of ketosis. The more you push your fasting out, the more adapted your body is. It's called a metabolic flexibility, your ability to switch between burning glucose as it comes in, which... I think we're all pretty much geared to in our modern society. We just constantly have food at our our, our uh, availability. So for the most part, we're just burning glucose as it comes in, you know, essentially, which is just carbohydrates. When you start to get this metabolic flexibility through actually forcing your body to start to burn fat, it's a whole different energy system, and people take to it really well. <laughs> I think it's because we're evolutionarily geared we mean it, I, to me, from my understanding, is it's an evolutionary mechanism that we gear that we develop to survive through periods of famine and starvation. And I think it's a system that was what's interesting about it as well. I guess to backtrack even more is that you do a lot of repairing biologically. You go through these states of repair. Interestingly, during that time, I don't know why exactly, um, but for whatever reason, your body decides while you're fat, while you're starving, it's also time to repair feel like when people get into this state it's something that we've 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 meant to have we meant to kind of go back and forth between these energy states and go into these periods of repair and back to and then periods of you know feasting and periods of famine and we don't really fluctuate anymore in some ways it's really great you know that we have food at our at our pleasure all the time but in a lot of ways just like anything else like social media or video games or whatever else it could be really good in the proper context but in the context of most people they just kind of you know do what they do and abuse it but also it's a different it's actual different source of energy so for whatever reason it it responds differently um in your brain from what from my understanding i fasted for 10 days i just did a water and i think i did a little bit of orange juice here and there but it was really intense but i did it specifically to to learn about myself. And it it was a really cool experience. Uh, But I did learn a little bit about like after three days, how your digest, when your digestive system fully shuts down, like what you're talking about, that energy, and it goes to um, different parts of your body that needs healing. And so there's been a lot of really cool studies on whether you have like blood clots or different sorts of um, 
heart issues. I mean, it's it's amazing uh, what can get accomplished uh, physically when you shut down your digestive system. Because at least what I had read, that is such a huge process. Like if your computer is running a, I don't know, software or something like that, that's what your digestive system is. So when it shuts down, now you're, you have uh, the ability to, you know, heal those areas. I think that's what they're, I think that's them trying to explain why it's happening the way it does. Um, but I know the, your body enters that mode due to like, it, it recognizes it specifically from a reduction of calories. So you reduce the calories for long enough, then your, your blood glucose drops. Um, and then your pancreas releases the um, last of your glycogen stores, and then you start to burn fat. Um, and then, then you enter a state of ketosis, and then higher levels of ketosis contribute to... It's interesting because you get... You think people, you think you'd be really lethargic, and if you go like straight into it, you get this keto flu where you are lethargic. You kind of need to taper your carbs down and make your way into like, you know, lower your altitude with your carb intake. And you can kind of you can kind of mitigate that process, but when you switch over at first, it can be really harsh for a lot of people. I think lowering the kind of carbohydrate, like I, I call it just lowering your altitude, just kind of s- slowly tapering everything down helps switch over. You get a like, really increased sense of cognition. Like I noticed, I was I was in school the first time I did a five day fast, and I or I really started playing with ketosis, and I noticed the higher levels of ketosis I would get into. Or the deeper I got into a fast, which also correlated with higher levels of ketosis, because I was testing my blood like three times a day, I got increased levels of cognition. Like I could focus way better. I could understand things. I could process things quicker. It was like, and the way I've understood that is it's like you're, you're in survival mode. You're like, if you're a hunter, you need to see things very clearly. You need to be very focused. I remember being like day five, day six of the fast and I describe it as being in like an HD experience. The difference between just a, a regular, you know, bunny ear TV to, you know, a full blown 4K. It just was, like you say, I mean, you're, you have to have those senses heightened in order to catch the prey. I mean, that's right. what we are. We're very prime, primal at our base, right? Right. Sounds right. like a cure for my ADHD. That's what led me to it. I started guinea pigging myself through all sorts of different processes, whether it be like supplementation or exercise or diets or different protocols. And I found that um, of all the medications and all the food diets and stuff I tried and supplements and stuff, that was better to me than anything was fasting and trying and actually supplementing exogenous ketones too to kind of increase my levels of ketosis. But, you know, because it's not obviously ideal to just be fat in a fasted state all the time. But you can kind of mimic that by taking exogenous ketones and just more, more or less eating ketogenically where you're having, you know, higher, lower levels of carbohydrate intake and higher levels of fat to kind of supplement that. But it worked well for my ADHD. And how long have you been doing it? <sighs> Probably two years now. How did you find out about it? Podcasting originally... Um, through Dom Augustino, he's one of the lead researchers for um, keto for keto diets and um, exogenous ketones. He worked with the Navy SEALs and NASA and doing work with, 
astronauts trying to see if you know being in a state of ketosis would help um, everything they go everything they go through. Does it? Yeah, it does. Originally, the military paid him to the Navy paid him to with Navy SEALs to, and I think that led to his work with NASA, especially because he's right. He's he's at a he's University of South Florida. Or, can't remember exactly but he's at some some university down there he's a professor down there um but yeah it worked really well with uh because they were using it for the the navy seals they have these rebreathers right where you, you're like taking and you have uh you get oxygen in but then it takes and recycles the oxygen so it doesn't blow bubbles but so that way they can be more stealth as they're underwater but the problem is is you can get the bends so that they they go they need to be able to like go down and up quicker like in case they get under fire so they wanted to be able for them to um go into like go deeper and then still be able to come back up without having to kind of slowly adjust elevation or depth and um so they were playing around with ketogenic diet as a way to do that and that worked they found the li- uh, higher levels of ketosis that contributed to lower levels of oxygen oxygen toxicity or like something hypoxia i can't remember exact terminology but it basically helped them stop from getting into the bends it like protected their neurochemistry somehow i don't know yeah it's very interesting but similarly with astronauts i guess um so that kind of got me really and then he started talking about just the general benefits of how we're supposed to kind of like you know the evolutionary um idea towards why we should be you know implementing this cycling in and out of it at some some periods and how it benefits your body and how it puts you in a state of repair and um, and how they use it for all these different treatments from cancer to Alzheimer's to all sorts of stuff. Yeah. To mental health stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, that just, to me, when I first heard and read about it, I was like, that all sounds too good to be true and somewhat too easy to be true. Like just change your diet. I mean, obviously that obviously it's difficult, but eat, but I mean, relatively compared to other things, it's pretty easy. I was in the ether when I heard it, and I really went for it. Took my time. I spent like two months tapering down my carbs because I didn't want to. I was really high carb, and I decided to. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do well if I just went full keto right away. But um, so then I started playing with it, and it worked out really well. And I've been low carb for the most part ever since. Like I go through. I'm. I got a sweet tooth, but I just notice. I really notice now how much it affects me after you get away from it. And I've noticed that with a lot of protocols and different, like, I like to guinea pig myself with all sorts of diets and supplements and different things, routines, exercises, and see how it affects me, journal, that kind of stuff. But um, I found that that was, for me, for me, the best. Yeah. That sounds very cool. Paul, are you envious? I'm very envious, especially after watching Reed. I'm still working on uh, getting off my uh, sweet tooth and my carbs. I had some ice cream today, I'll, I'll openly admit, so uh, I need to get more inspired. One benefit of intermittent fasting and, and a low-carb diet is that you, you stop craving carbs. You know, mm-hmm. we, we evolved to eat a little bit of carbohydrate mm-hmm. in, in the form of fruits. You know, no grains at all for millions of years. The rest was meat and, and vegetables. And uh, I think the and and to to have these periods where you're you go on a hunt, you eat three days later, you go on a hunt, you eat again. And my uh, my 
uh, osteoarthritis pain went away when I when I switched to this diet. Lost a bunch of weight. My blood pressure went down. My um, my A1C went back down to normal. I was borderline uh, type two diabetic before that. Um, my main form of exercise is long distance cycling. I don't go that long a distance anymore. I ride only 20 miles at a time, but I'll do that uh, in a fasted state. I'll eat, I will have eaten dinner the night before and uh, then along about 1 p.m. or so the next day, I go out for a couple hours and absolutely full of energy. Whereas when I, when I was a, a young cyclist in my 30s, I, you're, you're just constantly uh, carbo-loading. You know, the night before, during the ride, you've got sugary uh, electrolyte drinks. Don't need any of that this way. Just, I come back energized. Uh, it's it's a world of difference. And you've been doing it for how long now, Reed? Uh, I started January of uh, 18. So I guess it's about two and a half years something like that is that and, right yeah and you're are you just maintaining at this point i am I, I i wanted to get down to 175 i have 18 or so pounds to go mm-hmm. so i'm it's it looks like a plateau i'm not trying to maintain but i'm not doing the 10 days and the five days and the three days like i like i want to be doing mm. So have you gone longer stretches? My longest this time around, way back in uh, in my early 20s, I went for 10 days, but that was uh that was kind of a a vegetable broth fast. So it was and it was and I wasn't adjusting um carbs uh, mm. before and after. So that was different. Um uh, the longest I've gone this time uh, is just four days. That's still a really long time. It's hard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you went for 10 days, though, Jeff. Yeah, and what I found interesting was the... Because I'm like you, I'm kind of a guinea pig, Manny. I like to... Like, I'm my own guinea pig, anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I like to journal, and I like to see what goes on within me, not just... Um, you know, physically, but you know, what's going on with my mind. And so I had a journal and it was at, um, I went on this cross country road trip, took off in my car and, and slept out of my car and also had a tent that I would stay in. And I don't know about how many days in I decided, well, I'm just, you know, I'm, I want to be out here camping and, and doing other things and I don't want to go into town. So I'll just start fasting. And I knew a lot about it because during college, I spoke to, he was the the librarian. I've talked about him before, but he was the librarian at the university. He would go for long stretches about, you know, with fasting and he would, I don't know, he'd go 20, 30 days. Yeah. Right. Can you, you can do that. I'm not, yeah, I'm not fitting right right now. Am I? (laughs) Oh no, there's actually been medically supervised three, uh, there was a medically supervised 300 and I want to say 79 day fast. The guy was like 400 plus pounds, and they were they you know they monitor him. They'd come in like weekly or something, and they check his you know his blood levels, and they they I think he'd get electrolytes and stuff like this. But uh, otherwise, he drank water for 300 plus days. 300 plus days. 
That's just insane. And and what did he get down to? Uh, he I believe he was four hundred something or five hundred something, and he dropped down to like one eighty. And what was interesting though was that he maintained his weight after the fact, whereas most people when they do that they tend to like jump right back up and quickly. But also his what's really interesting is his skin rebounded, which makes sense if you understand like the bio uh, the biology behind it. Uh, it it makes sense as to why his skin rebounded, but yeah, essentially, like, you know, when you see someone who does these tummy tucks or whatever, and they, or they, like, get liposuction, and they end up with all this extra skin, um, that didn't happen with him, he, his skin shrunk down with him, and it makes sense as the, like, going back to the whole point, when your body is in repair in this fasted state, you're actually, one of the parts of that is it starts to eat, uh, unhealthy and or dying cells and it prefers them over healthy cells so it like your body knows to like pick out like dysfunctioning or old or unhealthy or whatever types of cells and then it eats them it uh, causes them to go apoptotic um, and then they then it uses the energy from them to consume and then so by that I guess by that somehow I don't you know that's a really basic version of it but your cells are like literally being ate by you and shrunk down and then reformed uh, because it's not just that you're killing off new old cells, you're then rebuilding with brand new cells. So that's partially why it's so healthy. It makes, if, if you think about it that way, it's like fasting in a sense is like giving yourself like a tranny rebuild like or a engine swap or something. It's like these cells have been, you know, it's like, and you're always kind of going through this process of like cells going to apoptosis and then they'll reform. But, you know, as you get older and stuff, this, these processes get worse and worse and worse. and Or some just don't happen at all. And you can force that by going into a fasted state. And then you cause your body to kill off these, these old or deficient or dying or whatever cells. And then they reform as brand new cells. So it's just like, why wouldn't you want that? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Those are great analogies. Well, I d and I just wanted to add as far as what I found by day six, seven, eight, um, you know, th that hunger went away and I was more interested in my mind. I was very, um, I was very aware of how much energy went into like thinking about food. When was I going to, and that would just make this, it all more intense. And I found like, I, I had to figure out, um, where to put my energy. If I'm not putting energy into finding food, getting food, thinking about food, it was kind of breaking like a bad habit. It was like breaking its own like addiction that you don't, I don't think you would be aware of had I not stopped eating. Total, it's a total addiction. It's just, it's, it's just there. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm hungry or something happens and now it's food. And to basically stop that, you're still getting the, the hits of your mind going, okay, I, I eat, eat, eat. Mm -hmm. And to keep saying no, 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 like, you know, to like a kid that's throwing a tantrum and finally they don't get their candy. It right. was really neat to just be able to be out in nature and like your mind can kind of go into a little bit of repair mode because yes. that has, that's just doesn't exist. Food doesn't exist. So, right. I know a lot of people I hear talk about well, one of the things they mention the most that they love about it is that they feel like when they don't even realize they, they feel like this is just part of life. Like you need to, you know, like drinking water and everything else. Like you obviously have to eat, but in our society or in just modern times, we live in a, with the luxury of 
you know, we can eat every four hours when we get hungry, so we do eat every four hours when we get hungry. You know what I mean? It's like once you start that process of eating, then you kind of start to need to eat like every four to six hours. And once you break that process, you feel like you've broken like the shackles of this, that you're constantly needing to feed yourself. And then, you know, also, like you said, needing to find the food or prepare the food and clean and do all the other things. So it's like you end up with this huge time window that opens up. So plus you have the added benefit of, you know, having excessive or extra levels of or higher levels of cognition than you would. So now you're like even more motivated to kind of do stuff and get stuff done. So it's like I find it's one of my more my most productive periods of time is when I go into either fast states or when I'm really pushing my uh, my intermittent fast farther and farther out. Uh, you both have been talking about autophagy when our body recycles the the old uh, misformed proteins and other tissues and. Uh, it's it's they're they're exploring cancer treatments with this and certainly cancer prevention and uh so many ills come from being overfed uh, our blessings become curses when we have too too much abundance um, it's ironic yeah so if anybody wants to check out uh, dr jason fung his his uh, website and his podcast. He's the guy that supervised that uh, that four hundred pounders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he wrote the book, um, the Obesity Code. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what that that's where I first educated myself. That book and uh, Delay Don't Deny. That's another good one. It's been cool to watch you transform yourself. I mean, I I remember when we first started, just in the small amount of time we've known each other you have lost quite a bit of weight I mean, you look way better you're way more vibrant feels like you know you feel, it seems like you feel better I feel like it's coming out in your personality so it's just mm-hmm. cool to watch you go through that <laughs> and you know it's not like you're it's not like you're in your 20s like you you, you decided like, i can make this change and you can do it and it's like and look at how quick your body's transformed it's like people i feel like as they get older too they just they just submit to life. They feel like this is it. This is what I am. This is they identify with their body or they identify with what they look like and it's like, God, you know, not really. <laughs> like you can change all that kinda of at any point in time if you really yes. want to. Well, as far as, you know, weight goes and your how you feel about yourself and Yes, a number of people have told me that that I'm uh uh brighter and more vibrant uh since doing this. And I definitely had given up. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to live a number of years less because of all this weight. I was 238 pounds at five foot uh, seven or eight. I can't remember my height because it keeps shrinking. Sad. But, uh, you know, I was morbidly obese according to the BMI charts. And I just thought, well, yeah, but I'm having so much fun. uh, And it would be too hard. Not to be this hardy, and uh, boy, was I wrong. It's it's not that hard at all to to have a healthy weight. I I want to touch on that because like, I feel like everyone does that. They they say this like, <laughs> I want to live. Like I want to live, so I want to eat. But it's like, but if you're poisoning yourself through this, you're not living. You're just you're getting like this these seconds of mouth. And that's the other thing about eating. If you really like think about it. You're just getting like a few seconds of mouth pleasure, and as soon as it 
is past your tongue, the mouth pleasure is gone, and now you're dealing with the effects. And so it's like, I get that things taste good, but what's way better is the effects you have. And it's like, and you only eat for a short period of time. You got to live with yourself the rest of the time. Obviously, a lot easier said than done, but I feel like when you put it in the right frame of context, like it's easy to not want to do some of these things in order. Well, to you don't. If you you can have all kinds of crazy uh, ecstatic mouth pleasure, mm. uh, one meal a day. That's that's how I do it. Yeah. And instead of constantly, you know, three meals a day plus two snacks plus cheating, mm-hmm. uh, and you look forward to it and you don't have the psychic pain of that guilt that I'm weak mm-hmm. and we're not weak. We're, we're, we're just, uh, evolution has set us up to eat one way and, uh, the industrial, the industrial food complex or whatever it's called needs, needs to make that money. Yeah. Well, they always say, like, once you pop, you just can't stop. They say, I mean, there's <laughs> slogans that they have. Or they know what these food scientists know what they're doing. I mean, they know how to hit your pleasure centers. I mean, you can't, how many, how many people, you know, eat one potato chip or one piece of a candy bar? It's like, God, you got to be disciplined and well-informed and, you know, have some uh, more discipline. <laughs> There's a, we're going to lose a sponsor here, but there's a Honey Nut Cheerios TV commercial with this huge fat uh, actor uh, eating his Honey Nut Cheerios in the morning because it's so good for his heart. You know, the whole <laughs> grains that have, that have just been uh, pulverized to an inch of their life. It's just heartbreaking, you know, that A, we've been brainwashed to think that breakfast is the most important meal of the day or that you need to get your metabolism revved up in the morning, or that you, you know, that candy-coated processed treats are part of a balanced breakfast. You know, as long as you have bacon and sausage and ham and orange juice and a grapefruit and pancakes and waffles, uh, then, you know, you got a nice balanced breakfast going for you. (laughs) You're making me hungry. (laughs) So I'm curious how you're, I mean, Paul, you're sitting here listening to three intermittent fasters. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes is what I'm doing. So I'm very much taking notes. I've got a, I got a full page of notes here, so I got to get on it. I'm inspired. What do you think is, what's your biggest block to taking action tomorrow? I would say it's uh it's the end of the day. I tend to, uh, my willpower wears off by the end of the day. And also, uh, plus a little stress, uh, tends to cause me uh, to do it. And then my environment, I would say, uh, having teenage kids in the house and other things, there's coffee cake and donuts and there's other things with an eyesight very often. And sometimes, uh, I would say mindless eating occurs. You know, you just walk by and you, you know, I walked in my son's room today. I'll give it a great example. He left for college, but he left me one of my favorite cookies. He left a bunch of Fig Newtons sitting on his desk that were, you know, he left a half a sleeve of them. And of course, <laughs> let's just say I only had two, but still two Fig Newtons actually have a lot of calories in the two Fig Newtons. So, um, yeah, so it's just a matter of a combination of willpower. And I have to say that environment plays a role in it, too. If you don't have it in the house, you can't eat it. So environment yeah, definitely absolutely. plays a role. Yeah, getting stuff out of the house is key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one reason I drive to the office. I 
during uh, the pandemic, I I don't work around people. I do all telehealth, and no other therapists are coming into our suite, so I'm all alone there. Uh, the refrigerator has uh, carbonated water in there, and I do put uh, heavy whipping cream into my coffee. So those are the two uh, treats that I have uh, for me. And if 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 I'm home near the the refrigerator, uh, I'm I'm much more tempted. Yeah. Have you ever looked into uh, how back gut bacteria affect all this? Because that that's kind of interesting. That's actually super interesting. We could talk about that for hours. We sure could. I uh, couldn't talk expertly about it, even though I had a full day, a six-hour workshop on the gut-brain connection. Yes. Uh, And this this phenomenal uh, nutritionist uh, presented it. The gut biome um, hates carbs. Right. You know, and loves fasting. But because we got all kinds of good bacteria and all kinds of bad bacteria. And for because of evolution, the good bacteria loves fasting. There's there's so much to all of it. I mean, well, it's, what's interesting, too, is like when you get into the whole like potential of it controlling you. Um, it the, meaning what? The gut, your gut bacteria. Um, they have found that, you know, like with different parasites, different... Um, different things that can colonize your body you know this is like all throughout the animal kingdom but they want they, i mean there's part of the thing they're thinking about other uh questioning or i'm being very vague here but part of the thing that's being questioned is whether or not like say a candida overgrowth in your gut can influence you to crave sugar and they think that that's absolutely what's happening especially more as they dive deeper into this whole gut brain um, connection, they think that you getting that when you have all these sugar craving bacteria, you're going to send signals to your brain to crave sugar, and that in in some sense it's kind of not you know not literally controlling you, but it's pushing you in a certain direction, just as other parasites might or other bacteria that can colonize your body might with other species. So it sounds know. like a Star Trek episode. Yeah, I'm not doing a good job explaining it, but there's a Dr. Robert Sapolsky out of Stanford, I believe. He studies this with uh, toxoplasmosis with cats, how and mice, and how. Have you ever have you any of you ever looked into this at all? No. No. Okay. Do you know what toxoplasmosis is? No. Okay. So toxoplasmosis is a parasite that gets uh, that. It's from it's from rat shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. It's from cat shit, and it transfers to rats. But the only way it can, it, so it's a, it's a parasite that can only breed in the gut of a feline, right? It's specifically evolved to breed in the gut of a feline. So what's really interesting is when this parasite gets inside a mouse, it completely rewires. It doesn't like rewire it, but it really pushes it suddenly to be attracted to. Uh, cat piss so this cat which would uh so they do this in labs where they take mice and you know you'd spray cat urine and normally they would know to be afraid and they would cause a stress reaction you know they would get cortisol their cortisol would spike and so on and so forth and they'd usually shake in a corner or they'd freak out because they can't get away 
but then you infect them with toxoplasmosis and they actually try and find their way to the urine. So that makes them sexually attracted to the urine. So it like rewires their sexual circuits or it helps or it pushes their sexual circuits aside and somehow makes them attracted to it. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining. No, you're but, doing great. You're doing but, great. This is really creepy. Keep going. <laughs> I so agree. They, they found it in humans. Um, they know people get infected. Like if you have a house cat, I think upwards of like 70% of the Brazilian population is infected with toxoplasmosis or has been infected with toxoplasmosis. But they know that it inhibits prefrontal cortex action and causes um, people to have more, less rather, uh, inhibitions. Because that's, that's the area of the brain that controls inhibitions, right? Prefrontal. Right. So it's somehow inhibiting that. And so they know that there's a, this is just correlative values, but um, when they look at the studies on this, um, there's a significant, um, there's a direct correlation between like motorcycle accidents and people with toxoplasmosis. So like, like the, the huge majority of people who died from motorcycle accidents also had toxo. Um, wow. There's 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 tons of different correlating values that could show that this might be causing people to have more or, or less inhibitions rather during certain activities. Um, so I guess. Relate. I, I use that kind of information to relate to gut bacteria. When you have someone who's essentially been uh, or, is, or is flooded with this, say a candida, right, a sugar craving bacteria or a sugar craving yeast, rather, um, I guess it's a bacteria. Um, it perhaps is like hijacking your brain in some sense. Not you know, not literally, but in some sense, it's causing you to want to push towards the candy aisle or, or feed that. And, and so I think one of the reasons, like Reed was saying, you stop craving after a while. I remember, I think you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I think one of the reasons you might be losing your cravings is that you're getting your gut microbiome back in a balanced state, whereas you might have like a SIBO, like a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or a candida overgrowth or something that's causing you to possibly change your neurochemistry. Um, and I don't know if that's directly related to inflammation from the gut, causing inflammation in the brain, maybe shutting down areas of the prefrontal cortex, or if that's literally the bacteria signaling, hey, give me sugar, I need to eat. So it then sends you to get sugar. Right. That, that of, all... of course. I mean, there's all drives, and I mean, the different, uh, it makes perfect sense. Right. So I've got to kill my cats. Right. <laughs> well, there's some really interesting. Uh, there's a couple of interesting articles you should read. Type in toxoplasmosis and uh, read. There's there's some cool articles out there of different scientists that have studied. There's some. Uh, I forget a guy in Norway or Sweden or something. Seventy percent in Brazil. I mean, how, why are, why do so many people in Brazil have this? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I remember that the. Uh, they, they showed, like, throughout the world, I think, like, upwards of 50, 60% of the world population has it or could have it. And I think some populations like Brazil have, like, upwards of 70%. Wow. And they use it to relate to different, like, again, like, correlative values, like, you know, what's happening, like, in with crime or what's happening with this. So, I don't yeah. know if they're, so some people kind of say, oh, that's just a cop out for, but it's like, well, we're just exploring different avenues, like, seeing what's possibly happening here you know i don't understand i don't understand that sort of uh line of thinking or reasoning where it's a cop-out when we're doing research 
and there's information that's being found that are correlating certain behaviors and and certain issues, physical health or uh, what have you. Um, I don't I don't understand the cop out. I think people don't like to give up their agency. You know, they don't like the idea of giving up their agency, especially to something like a microscopic bacteria or colonization of your body of something you can't even see. You know, it's like witchcraft. It's like they hmm. don't. It's hard to. I think it's hard for people to accept that they don't have control over things. So if may, I mean, maybe that that's just my idea. I don't know. Sure. I don't know why why they would just be so dismissive, but we want to hold people accountable for their actions. You know. That yeah, there can be a couple things at play there, for sure. Well, we've we've touched briefly on uh, chronic inflammation, which could be a whole show. Uh, leaky gut syndrome is all part of that unhealthy uh, biome right. issue, where toxins and parasites are able to get get into our bloodstream through through that um, those epithelial cells is that what lines our gut I believe so yeah you have like a there's a mucous membrane it allows it keeps a barrier on one end but allows passage to the other if I remember right mm-hmm. but yeah but it's well, yeah your gut eventually the bacteria overgrowth or whatever will break through the gut lining and then cause yeah cause toxins yeah. or foods or whatever to get in your bloodstream and then your body recognizes it as an invader or foreign invader and then you end up inevitably allergic to that food because your body because it's getting into your bloodstream yeah and our body's just waiting to heal all of that imbalance uh, if we would just give it a break right and right. the uh, all the medicines that are sold to to combat uh, all these diseases all these disorders, all these syndromes, you know, where uh, the ancient Greeks talked about uh, the best medicine is a good diet. Yeah. Well, it's very, it's very evident when you change your, when you start to dial this stuff in. You know, I noticed, I really noticed it with the keto diet. It was one of the big ones. But when you start to isolate things, and it's just, it's, it's, all, it's in your control, which is nice. Yeah. You know? And it's cheap. That's what I see this offers is that um, that self-control or that agency that you are talking about. So to me, whatever bacteria or parasite there is, it's like I have an avenue in order to combat that. Right. Like, <laughs> that's well, that's brilliant. It's it's frustrating to, like, not know what's happening to you. Right? I'm sure you deal with this with your patients it's- to be able to put a label on something or to have, you know, have an, or at least start to like narrow stuff down and like, nope, wasn't that, like, wasn't dairy, it wasn't nuts, it wasn't whatever it is that you're like trying to isolate or you're trying to figure out that might optimize your health or like cut out some inflammation. It's, I mean, it's, we know actually one of the first, this is kind of a funny story, like, I used to be really gassy like years ago and, just constant inflammation in my gut is what I realized later. But I one of the things that started me down this road was I went to a aller, uh, an allergenist, an allergen specialist, and or immunologist, whatever the hell. And they did a uh, allergen panel on me where they stick you like 50 times with all sorts of different 
you know, concentrates of different things like nuts and pollens and so on. And they kind of, you know, it's really like a crude way of testing your allergies because they stab you with a concentrate of a thing. And then they base, they see like how much inflammation you have. And based on how much inflammation you have, that's how they determine how allergic you are. So it's not like, it's not like uh, super scientific, <laughs> like you could totally do it yourself, but, um, but it works. And I found almonds, anyway, I found almonds was one of them. And I was eating a lot of almonds at the time. Because um, I was eating, I was trying to eat more of a vegetarian type uh, diet, which didn't work out for me. Um, but uh, I was supplementing, I was eating a lot of trail mix, and almonds was a big part of my trail mix. And I was eating, trying to get away from dairy, which also wasn't a problem, but I was eating almond milk instead of cow's milk. And uh, it turns out, as soon as I found out I was allergic to almonds, I cut it all out. And all my gas went away, just like that, you know. I mean, it was like, I, you know, I eat certain things. I found, like, over time that other things were causing gas, too. So I was like, I had to start to find those as well. But it's like, once I found that one, that got rid of, like, the systemic inflammation, you know. And then from there, I realized, like, oh, shit, I can do something about this. You know, I was like, you don't have to, like, just put up with these things, these symptoms, these the stuff you, you feel like is just you or, or you're just that you're just experiencing. Well, you, you mentioned the people that show up in our office and what I've found, you know, I, I used to just be the, the hammer on the nail. Like if somebody presented with anxiety, then it's like, okay, well I can fix that for you. Or as I've, um, understand more about, um, what health actually looks like. One of my first, um, thoughts is, you know, our physical health, you know, because they can mimic one another, right? The anxiety and, all of these mental health sorts of symptoms are very much related to what's going on physically with us. Um, I had a friend just recently who uh, he, he was telling me about some of the, some of his symptoms it sounded like a panic attack experience. But at the same time, I said, you need to go and get uh, like a, a physical, like he's going to get, you know, blood draw and figure out what else is going on with him. But um, that's just one of the, first things that goes on in my mind is, is, is there something else here, you know, physically or? Yeah. I mean, with anxiety and depression and whatnot, like, have you heard of the inflammatory cytokine model of depression? I have not. It's essentially talking about the gut brain axis, what Reed was mentioning earlier. And that just basically going back to what we were talking about, it was inflammatory cytokines in the gut end up in your bloodstream and go to your brain and that causes inflammation and that through that it causes uh, inflammation in the brain ends up causing maybe areas of serotonin or whatever to shut down and then you end up depressed. But from what I understand it's one of the leading theories of why people are so depressed these days is more so has to do with their, their I mean I'm sure it's, there's a lot of factors but, but biochemically it feels like you can get that under control it'd be a lot easier to get your psychology under control people will recognize the word cytokine because we talk about a cytokine storm which right. is what kills people with uh, covid19 yes their immune system uh releases a a, a flood a storm of uh, of cytokines which are uh virus fighters right but there's so many of them that they that they attack the the tissues of the lungs and you drown in your in the, oh. in the information mm -hmm. yeah 
Um, and whether that be from, say, like, you know, yeah, within COVID, in the case of COVID, but in the, as far as your food intake goes, that could be inflammation from your a dysbiosis from your gut bacteria, your gut microbiome, or that could be inflammation from, like, you know, um, leaky gut cause, you know, food getting into your bloodstream. So there's, like, all these different things that seem, for the most part, to be food-related or diet-related. Yeah, I know my diet is going well uh, when my farts don't smell. Uh, it's just it's just CO2. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Whereas for decades, it was like, I was very proud of how disgusting uh, I could be around people. <laughs> By making them, you know, flee. Revolt. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's my sense of humor, and now I have to, you know, rely on other methods to uh, to get get attention. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, it is. Uh, Jacqueline, when I uh, one thing I look at, uh, I, I I do make sure people keep up on their on their uh, doctor visits and get their annual physicals. But man, oh, I look at sleep. Mm. I see so many mood disorders associated with bad sleep hygiene. Mm. So basic, so taken for granted. Yeah. Have you ever used or got anybody to use an aura ring or a sleep tracker or anything like when, that? When I worked, um, so a lot of this information that we're talking about, I worked at a neurofeedback, biofeedback, um, we had a neuroscientist, we had a clinical psychologist. I worked at a, uh, there was about five or six of us in this group practice. And one thing, I mean, they were very much interested in like, we had sleep trackers, um, on hand and we would send them home with clients to, uh, get data for us like a, a week or two of information. And then we would, you know, help, uh, or, you know, look at the data and then see what we could do. I started using one. Recently, I use an Aura Ring. Um, from what I understood, is the most accurate one they have right now. But um, how much is it? Uh, two. I think I was three hundred. I think. I feel like with stuff like this, like yeah, it's, it's expensive, but it's your health, you know. And if you can fix something for three hundred bucks, like that's really cheap. To that, you know, it's gonna like change the rest of your life. <laughs> so, How's your sleep, Manny? What have you learned from it? It's not good. Yeah, I mean, I've I get like five, six hours usually. I have a hard time sleeping. I'm an insomnia. I stay. I kind of have to put myself to bed. So I need once I lay down, it helps unwind. So tracking your sleep. How long have you been doing it for? Oh, probably eight months or so. Okay, and have you made any adjustments? Yeah. Um, and well, for one, I start to wind down a little. I, I I turn off the TV and I try and read or I try and stretch or something. Um, I keep the lights way different. I know one of the big things about issues with sleep is taking in um, blue light and causing um, <clears throat> it was basically active reactivating your circadian rhythm, which you know. So it's like with it wasn't a problem until we had electronics and you know light bulbs and whatnot but now that we do we, we kind of got to be way more mindful about getting blue light in our system too late into the day because it keeps your circadian rhythm running as if it's daytime when you should be producing melatonin 
and starting to gear up for going to sleep. Um, so that helps. Um, yeah, paying attention to light intake, kind of cutting the TV off like an hour or so before bed. I really need to do it for like two hours before bed and start like reading and doing yoga and stuff. Because once I start that process, I start to make my way down. But You can tell. Yeah. Um, sleeping without uh, heat is a big problem. When I added a blanket once, which is kind of this cool with guinea pigging like we were talking about, because I can do something and then I can literally watch what happens in my sleep, whatever, you know. That's so cool. And it is. So, like, I, I added a, like, even just as simple as, like, adding a blanket, like, when it got cold over winter, I added a blanket to my bed and I got too hot and my sleep deteriorated badly. And that's consistent with the, you know, um, with the literature. You want to be pretty cool um, when you when you sleep. It helps your body get into REM and get into deep sleep. Whereas if you don't, you'll be more in these lighter stages of sleep. So what's cool about this sleep app too is it's not just showing you when you're asleep and when you're not, but it's showing what stages you're in and um, how much motion you had and your heart, your resting heart rate through that period. And it's getting, it's taking all sorts of data, um, including your temperature and whatnot. But it's been fun to guinea pig as another way to kind of use the data to make adjustments. Um, where have you gotten a lot of your information about sleep? Uh, I follow. I try and follow a lot of scientists on podcasts. Like I follow mm. like sleep researchers and diet researchers and biochemists and biologists and health, you know, uh, health coaches and all sorts of shit. I mean, I just try and I try and get a wire and I and I try and triangulate information. But like as far as sleep, um, Matt, Dr. Matthew Walker, he's like one of the head researchers on sleep right now. He's pretty widely considered to be like the leading expert, um, but he he just came out with a recent book. He did a he's done a few podcasts recently from some of the people I follow. Um, so if you just look him up, you'll be able to find. Um, and he's got really great really great information. He's really good at explaining it in somewhat layman terms, you know. Mm-hmm. He's he's partially what pushed me to do get an aura ring too, and actually like pay attention to some of this stuff and start to make adjustments but, but yeah it's been it's fun playing with these things and trying to, and starting to see you know how it affects you then you can make conscious choices to not do certain things or you know or do certain things that are you're going to get better results from because you know you will i don't know there's just there's so many unknowns out there that these things that we do know that we can make have an influence on uh, why why wouldn't we <laughs> i don't yeah. know it's... right well it's like you can only you can only take care of, you can only do so much. So it's like you can only just so take care of like the basic stuff first. Right? It's like if you can mm-hmm. just adjust your sleep, anyone can work on that. If you can adjust your diet, anyone can work on it. It's all within our control, which is empowering too. Because it's like when you're sick or you're depressed or you're, you got a disease or you're whatever you're fighting or whatever pushes you to want to like focus on this stuff, you're fat, whatever it is, you know, you don't feel good. It's nice to regain control of of that and, and know that there's like some light at the tu- at the end of the tunnel if you put in some work. I think you have some control over sleep, but you don't you can't will yourself to sleep. I mean, anyone who who's tried knows sure. how difficult that can be. So yeah. you can't you can't you can have some sleep hygiene and stuff, but you know your mind and your psyche and other things often have another agenda for you. Um, mm-hmm. which, you know, definitely, you know, cutting down on blue light, cutting down on computers, cutting down on things that like caffeine that stimulate you short, sure, definitely help. Yes, but yes. Sometimes, you know, your mind and your psyche just have another plan for you. Um, 
totally. So, there's things. I mean, and you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're obviously, you're completely right. I mean, as someone who deals with insomnia, I, I, I completely agree with you. But yeah, there's, there's just, you know, as you start to try things, there's, there's just little things you can do. Whether, like you said, blue light, but you know, meditation techniques. I found like stupid stuff, like focusing on your toes, and then kind of focusing on like body parts, and then, you know, you get more of a feeling of like what you're or get more of a sense of what you're feeling and get more in your body as opposed to like get outside of your head and not so like focused on the past or the future or what you need to do tomorrow or whatever, but you're just kind of like processes you can do to help shut or shut yourself down or, or start the process of kind of shutting down. Progressive relaxation is good. You start either at your head and toes and work your way down slowly release your muscles yeah it's just it's one technique but yeah there's also a bunch of other ones uh, but it you know it, it's something you have to practice and a lot of times what happens is when your mind's going you get out of practice of it and then you add a little caffeine or a little stimulation something that agitates your mind and you don't it's like any habit if you don't practice it you lose it manny have we done self-hypnosis together no we will have to do that uh, that's, that's, that's what I teach clients who have trouble, uh, going to sleep. It's the opposite of, of meditation. Meditation is focusing your conscious mind and hypnosis is unfocusing your conscious mind and very effective for inducing sleep and getting back to sleep in the middle of the night. Oh, good. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really interesting sort of life hack or bypass to the, what we often try, um, counting sheep or whatever. I learned it from people who learned it from Milton Erickson. Uh, so it's it's an old, old technique that is uh, super powerful. What's yeah. what's going on in the brain, or how how can you describe what's going on in self hypnosis? Well, you used to do brain scans, and so you know about alpha waves and theta waves, which become uh, more active during relaxation and uh, flow and um, probably LSD trips. Um, And then uh, beta and uh, uh, is it gamma or delta when when you're conscious and alert? Delta is a really slow wave. That's what you go into sleep. Gamma is a really fast wave and we don't know a lot about gamma. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't do brain scans, so I don't know what's going on with the brain uh, literally as far as uh, ele- electrically, but uh, we have you know, two, two parts of our brain, the conscious and the unconscious. We all know what the consciousness is because right. it's, we're aware of it. We don't know what the unconscious is because we're not aware of it, but we know that that's where dreams come from because we're not creating the dreams and the dreams aren't coming from gods or spirits it's from some part of us uh and that's the part that that is active more just as active at night when we're asleep as as when we're awake and so it's just uh, in self-hypnosis which is the same as hypnotherapy and hypnosis they're all the same thing the conscious mind agrees to back away and to cooperate with the unconscious mind which is a very new experience for a lot of people, unless they're 
dead tired and it and it's sort of forced on the consciousness that's exhausted. That's my trick. Yeah? Get exhausted? I kick my own ass every day as hard <laughs> as I can and then by the end of the day I, I fall I pass out. There you go. <laughs> uh my wife is uh is an anxious person. I'm more depressive. Usually we're one or the other. Uh not not to an extreme, but just a tendency. That's just the way we're born. And so her mind races at night. And if I'm awake enough, I can walk her through these simple steps and she'll be lights out, right to sleep. And maybe two or three times a year, I'll have trouble sleeping because I'm thinking of something. And when I use the techniques on myself, same thing. I don't get to the end of the of the process because it because it works so well what are the what are the steps if you don't can you is it can you go through it essentially you use three senses uh and it's you're sort of tricking the conscious into uh backing up and not doing what it normally does which is worry about the day uh think about all the revenge it wants uh the regrets and so you concentrate on three senses. The first one I do is the sense of gravity, the kinesthetic sense, the, the feeling that you have when you're in a body that has mass being pulled down by gravity. You, you hear stage hypnotists talk about your eyes are getting heavy. Your whole body gets heavy because you're noticing it. It's the same weight as it always was. but because we don't pay attention to that, uh, it's a new, it's a, kind of a new experience. We we filter it out because it would be a distraction to notice how heavy we are, and so you you focus on that, and that uh, distracts you. And then you focus on your sense of hearing, all the sounds that you filter out throughout the day that uh, uh, would otherwise be distracting to sleep are very useful to create this sound cloud to float on. And the last sense is your sense of sight. Um, how can you use your sense of sight with your eyes closed? With your visual cortex. That's, that's basically it. We pay attention to those things that we're usually not paying attention to when we're trying to go to sleep. And it sidetracks the consciousness and the unconscious, with permission, takes over. Yeah, I uh, during COVID there was a lot of anxiety in in, in uh, my my wife's family, my nieces, nephews, uh, in laws were all in were all having uh, sleep trouble. Uh, also, some of them had uh, headaches, um, other other physical ailments, and so we would do a Zoom call where we would do group hypnosis. And I would report it, and then I would I would uh, email it to them, so that they could use it on their own. And uh, rave reviews. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And as I as I recommend to folks, uh, there are a ton of YouTube videos of uh, self self hypnosis for sleep, self hypnosis for uh, uh, tenderness, self hypnosis for chronic pain, for anxiety, uh, uh, an infinite supply. So you don't need me. But we want you. 
We need you. And what? Thanks. <laughs> Your soothing voice. Well, I always like hearing about fighting, but you know that's a that's a long discussion as well. Manny is a you know is a mixed martial arts weapon. You know, he fought in Thailand. Wow. You know, trying to hurt people who were trying to hurt him. Is this a whole other episode we're talking about? Having him come back to the living room for part two? Oh, we could, yeah. I'd be happy yeah? to. Yeah, I would love to hear all about that. And I don't want to, you know, shorten that at all. It's another world. I'd be know? happy to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about that for hours. Just traveling and, and martial arts and... Yeah, what it's done for me and fighting abroad and all of that. And I know that you uh, you train, you stay fit, you go to a to a, a mixed martial arts gym, and you train in a fasted state with plenty of energy, don't you? I do. Yeah, yeah. Often I'll I'll do everything. I'll go to school. I'll run. I'll lift. I'll go to the sauna. I'll uh, spar do my martial arts training, all of it, without any food at all, just water. If anything, I have more energy, which is just it's so counterintuitive. But it's it really just, is. And you're lean. You don't have a lot of fat on you, but you have plenty of energy stores. That's the thing. Um, that's, good. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, people think that you, know, you need like visible fat stores. That's not true. I mean, even someone lean like myself, uh, I forget, there's like a... One of the doctors I follow was saying something along the lines of even like a, a like a lean marathon runner type body like who's fairly thin, they have enough fat on them to last months before they start eating muscle. So it's like you you think even if they look like they don't have any, it's like it's stored elsewhere. You know, it's just you don't see it. And Amazing. You're a marathon runner too. I think Reed said that. Yeah, I did. I also do those partially fasted yeah i've only done two but i've uh, i did a 50 only. mile marathon <laughs> paul he's yeah. only done two <laughs> yeah i did my my first race was a 50 mile ultra marathon and i did the first like 20 miles or so fasted and then my uh my the one i just did this uh this last month was uh just a regular marathon 26.2 miles and i did i did it like Ooh, probably 16, 18 miles or so fasted. So yeah, once you, it's just the metabolic flexibility. It's nothing special. It sounds crazy, but it's really nothing special. It's, it's, you once you get your body used to burning fat, then it just knows what to do. So it's like, I don't need to eat because it's like, I'm, if I don't eat, my body eats anyway, right? It's just eating my stores. So it's like, it's not like I'm like, whoa, I gotta eat. And my blood pressure drops and my, which used to happen very like really bad like where it was to the point where i don't even i don't even think i could have done it had i not tapered my carbs because i would get like really bad lethargy and my blood pressure would drop and i get hangry and i would like literally need to eat and i just as i started to taper my carbs away that went away and eventually i just go longer and longer and longer but you get to the point where you're so metabolically flexible and good at burning fat your body you can run marathons and stuff and train and do whatever you want pretty much whether it be you know using your but using your brain like in school and stuff that's really difficult or whether it's using your body or both um which is actually fairly interesting 
if you, I don't know if uh, I was reading a study about they were uh, I think it was neuroscientists or psychologists. There's I forget who it was biochemists. They're studying calorie expenditure of um, different types of athletes, and then they studied these chess players in the tournament, and they found that sitting down playing chess for like six eight hours or whatever during these tournaments. They burn upwards of ten thousand calories. What? You knew that, Paul? Yeah. Brain. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah, so it's like, so it's when I say like brain energy, you know, it's like you could, you could do your. So it means like literally, it's like you could be physical and burn energy. You could just be studying your ass off and burning energy. But it's like that's why I feel like people when they say like, oh my god, I'm, I'm wiped from studying even though you've just been sitting. It's like it's kind of like running a marathon. You know, wow. it's like you're burning calories. So it's like, yeah. So your body kind of handles it you know, from, on all fronts well. So. Chess is good. Yeah, you, you're going to have to come back. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that um, you're open to, to doing that, that we didn't run you off. No, no, this has been great. I love these settings. I mean, it's not where else do you get especially for people who are willing to put their cell phones away and you know stop their life for an hour or two or whatever and just have a conversation with no distractions i mean it's like it's kind of alien in today's world so it's but it's allows for such better conversation than i'm used to that yeah i mean i want to start my own podcast eventually just for that just for that reason because i want to have conversations with people where we just i like hey come to my my podcast area where you have to put all your shit away and you actually have to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? on, on my my rules, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. As long as you can make them comfortable and get them to talk and, you know, and it's like, as long as it's just like any normal conversation, then it's great. But, yeah. you know. That describes us pretty well. Yeah. Just okay. casual. Thank you so much, Manny. This has been a real pleasure and I've learned so much and I, I can't wait to go and look up a lot of this stuff and learn. You know, I have so much to learn. So I, I feel grateful for all the seeds you've planted. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we all do. I guarantee you have plenty you can teach me too. So. And I love psychology too. So I mean, I, 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 that'd be, be a whole other episode itself, just picking your guys' brains about what you learn because I love all the all the studies they I took a few psychology classes one of my some of my favorite courses just it's just I think it's fascinating it's on the same lines of biochemistry and biology to me and fitness it's like it's just as interesting yeah they're so intertwined too which is really neat absolutely yep (laughs) thank you very much thank you very much Manny Learned a ton. I have a lot of things to look up. Uh, great to hear about the aura ring and a lot of the sleep stuff. I suffer from insomnia too, so I totally get it. So I have a lot of uh, work to do on that still, and that's something I've been working on for 30 years practically, it seems like. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. It's great talking to you. Great talking to you too. We always always have great conversations, the three of us, and when we can introduce uh, uh someone else who's interesting and interested uh it just uh it, it multiplies the, totally the fun yeah yeah so really appreciate it manny thanks for coming and come back to the living room soon i would love to 
Thank you, Jocelyn, and thank you, Reed, and thank you, Paul. Hey again, I'll see you out. Did you enjoy yourself? I sure do hope so. On behalf of Reed, Jacqueline, and Paul, I want to thank you for your time. I've heard there's going to be some pretty awesome folks stopping by. For more information, check out Living Room Therapy on Facebook or Instagram. And we hope to see you soon.